everybody's waking up to it. You don't even have to be a pro Bitcoin person to realize there's something wrong with this system. And more and more people are starting to realize what is going on. Like you only have to go to the grocery store and fill your, fill your shopping cart up and, and go out to know in the last 12 months, something's changed. Let's absolutely go. My name is Patrick and welcome to the Bitcoin Pitch Podcast, where I'll chat with anyone in Bitcoin. I don't care if you're a pleb. Anon or OG, you'll be giving us your Bitcoin elevator pitch and answer some quick hitting Bitcoin questions that will be beneficial to newcomers. The goal of the show is to keep it short and sweet for all those people you are trying to orange pill. Today's guest is from the Outback in Australia, Daz B. Daz creates great educational articles for the plebs in Bitcoin, otherwise known as the plebucation. Here's my conversation with Daz B. Hey, Daz, how's it going? Hey, Pat. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, of course. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on. Um, so if you could kind of kick things off with uh, a little bit about yourself, just some background and, um, you know, a short little uh, summary of how you kind of got into Bitcoin. Sure. Uh, so I'm Australian, if you couldn't tell by the accent. Um and I'm an electrician by trade, and I've got a degree in engineering, uh, electrical engineering. I'm not an engineer. I've done a three-year degree, not the four-year degree, but um, gives me a little bit of a technical background. So you'd think I'd probably come from this, from Bitcoin, from the technical perspective, but I actually come from from more of the financial perspective. So uh, in Australia, typically trades people earn fairly good wages as far as the sort of against the average goes. So uh, I was able to position myself, you know, in my 30s here. I started to put away a little bit of money and, um, you know, with a good job, good paying job. And I started to always wanted to look at investing as far as how to go about it. And uh, I reached a point where I was starting to put a fair bit of good money away. And I was like, all right, now what do I do with it? So I sort of went on this little investing education journey. I was used to studying 20 hours a week, at least with my university degree, which I didn't finish till mid thirties. So I focused that energy that I was already used to, you know, the, the discipline of, of uh, that education process. I was, uh, I was used to putting that time in. So I just funneled it into learning about finance and educate uh, and, and investing and promised myself I'd give myself a full year. I wouldn't invest a single cent until I had a really good understanding of, um, of the fundamentals of investing and, and mainly focused on stock investing. And long story short, I guess, I sort of got to a point. I learned how to value stocks. I learned discounted cash flow, uh, cash flow model. I listened to a lot of Preston Pish. And somewhere along those lines, I was going through the right through the back catalogue of Preston Pish's um, investors podcast series and i sort of was able to see where the penny dropped for him as far as bitcoin was concerned so he got a little bit curious i think it was around the the 2017 time frame from his pods and when that when that massive cycle was on he had some really good guests like um Dean on and you could just sort of hear going along with his educational journey i heard where the sort of penny dropped for him and then that's when i started to get really interested in it and um, I'm only quite late to, um, to, to Bitcoin. So I only bought my first Bitcoin last year in 2020. So um, I only just celebrated my first Bitcoin birthday only a couple of months ago. And um, I basically 
benefited from that large dip that we had. Um, and it's sort of, you know, there's a lot of people in the space that say you, you buy Bitcoin at the price you deserve or you discover it at the time you need to. Uh, and I think that was 100% correct for me. So where I was looking, we had the market downturn. So in Australia, we our, our ASX stocks dropped 40 to 50% alongside with the guys in the US. Um, and I was all excited because I thought, here's my opportunity to buy stocks at a discount. And there was just none to buy. And it was a slap in the face to me. So I, I'd already uh, put quite a bit of work into how to value stocks. And I had a spreadsheet that used to auto feed in with the Google prices, um, Google finance prices. And I used to just look at that every day, just seeing what sort of the stock movements were doing, waiting for some stocks that hit my selection criteria for a just a very reasonable, um, you know, return. And there was just nothing to buy. And then we had that massive downturn in the in the stock market. And then I was rubbing my hands together, expecting me to have, you know, tens of stocks to have to choose between which ones I was going to buy and which ones I'd leave behind. And still, there was only a handful that actually met my selection criteria. And that's really when the sort of blinkers come off. And I was like, there's something wrong here. This, this is not right. We were already at a fluffy a fluffy market level, you know. We had a downturn of 40 to 50% and there was still hardly anything to buy. And that's really when I started to dig into the macro picture, just going, I need, there's something I'm not, I'm not getting here. And, and I need to understand how this system works. And that's really where I started digging into the monetary system, how the currency works, how the difference between currency and money and how, you know, um, treasury yields are, uh, are suppressed, how they go about that and how they inject the money into the system. And, you know, coming from it from that angle um, really, really opened my eyes to what Bitcoin does and what Bitcoin solves. And it's been an absolute obsession ever since. Yeah, I can uh, definitely agree there. Um, my first... Uh kind of hearing about Bitcoin was in 2017 and I can just remember um, hearing it at work and it was, I think it was when it was 15,000 and it was going all the way up. And I was like, what is this nonsense? Like, this is a joke, like just completely rubbed it off. And then of course, obviously the bubble popped and um, went back down. And then the next time, like I kind of heard about it was in 2020 and what really got me interested in it, and it was I got fur furloughed from my job because of COVID. And <laughs> coming out of that, I had more money in savings at that period of time when I lost my job than I had ever had in my life. And I was like, none of this makes any sense. Like I should be like struggling right now, but like I'm just sitting at home. I actually like remodeled like a, a piece of my house being off of work because I was still getting money and like I had extra savings. It, none of it made any sense to me. So that's really when I kind of got into it and really started listening to Preston Pish's uh, podcast too. Really big fan uh, of his show. Um, He's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so to kind of touch upon um, what you've already kind of mentioned. So if you were to explain Bitcoin's monetary policy, um, you know, very simply, um, maybe even including the halving cycles, you know, how would you explain it? So 
obviously, in a, in a few words, absolute fixed cap supply. And a lot of people, when you explain that, don't always get what that means. But it is such a powerful feature of Bitcoin. And the, just the pure fact that it can't be printed by any other central player um, or, or no central bank has any ability to expand that supply. And it is the ultimate scarce asset. So we've never had a completely finite scarce asset before on the face of the earth. The closest is obviously the argument is gold. Um, so, you know, we can't just dig out of the ground as much gold as we want. We can't create gold, although alchemists over the centuries have tried. They are unable to create it out of thin air. And Bitcoin is the same thing. And where a lot of people sort of get confused is that they think it's 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 not backed by anything or it's not it, it's it's nothing physical. I can't touch it. And that's a real barrier to when I'm trying to orange pill other people uh, and, and teach them about Bitcoin is, is to just get that concept of living in the digital space and a monetary good in the digital space, it's really hard to grasp. But when you are able to describe how the Bitcoin um, ledger works and it's not actually anything physical, there's no physical coins that float around in the, in the middle of the internet. It's just a ledger. And it's one of the most fundamental monetary um, systems that we had was was a ledger system. You can go back to I think it's the Mesopotamian days where there's clay tablets where you know old mate brought to the market two sheep, you know, and they mark it down. And that's the one of the first monetary systems we had was just a bookkeeping system where we marked down marked down commerce and we marked down trade on on clay tablets. And basically, we've just reinvented that into the digital age. Um, to a immutable ledger that's computers and nodes across the whole network across the whole world and it can't be can't be fucked with if if <laughs> for want of a better term um so i don't know if i'm answered your question um cor correctly yeah, i've probably yeah. gone on a little bit of a tangent there but that that's how i would describe it is is a completely fixed finite supply that can't be expanded by any 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 person any government any body yeah, so um, you touched upon how there's only going to be 21 million. Um, why can't that be changed? I, you know, that's something I feel like new people ask. They're like, well, you know, it started with 21, 21 million. Why can't that just be changed to any amount in the future? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a good it's a good question. So basically, there's a whole network of nodes. So you, as a participant in the Bitcoin network, you can choose to run a node, or you can choose not to. You can be a participant in the network and, and not run a node. But once you sort of dive down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, it's kind of like a um, a coming of age where uh, you spend a little bit of time in the space and you just feel it's your duty to, to actually support the network. So nodes are just a bit of software that you can run on your home computer. You just need enough disk space to run a copy of the whole ledger. And that's one of the really powerful things as to why um, Bitcoin exists like it did today. And it, and it's, and it um, survived an attack from a hard fork back in the 2017 days, which we can dig into a little bit later. But they wanted to expand the block size, which would have made it the ledger itself too large for the average Joe in order to run on their computer. The, the, the actual ledger size itself would have exceeded that you would see on a normal desktop or laptop computer. And, and I run a node myself just on a Windows um, machine on a, on a normal um, 
just with a one terabyte hard drive. And I think the Bitcoin blockchain is less than 400 gig at the moment. So uh, as long as you've got the disk space and a computer able to run it, you can run this software. Now, the power of the software and the nodes is that they run uh, when they're running the Bitcoin protocol, they're operating as a part of a consensus network. So basically, um, all of those computers run the same code and they're constantly checking against the miners and every other node on the network to make sure that the copy of the ledger and the copy of the, 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 the rules are enforced through a consensus mechanism to say that the majority of the nodes all agree that this is the truth and that can't be changed. So I don't know if that's uh, a really easy way of explaining for, for new people to the space, but that is basically, it's like a voting system. It's like a democracy where the majority rules. Mm-hmm. And as long as everybody's running the code, making sure that the blocks blocks are up to date, um, you know, but that's not even the case that that needs to be necessarily true. So you can, um, you can, you can actually, you know, if you were to go away for a couple of months, even and your computer was to shut down on itself as soon as you come back online all you've got to do is resync your node back up download the latest copy of the chain because all the other nodes on the network are still running the consensus and they're confirming which is the true and uh, correct um, blockchain you download and you're right back to where you were that's one of the beautiful things about it yeah um yeah and if you could kind of touch upon um how the halving cycles work uh, based in that the the Bitcoin uh, monetary policy. That's one of the other beautiful things about how Satoshi built in this game theory um, with the with it's it's well Bitcoin itself is a deflationary currency, but it's a it's a fixed inflationary rate up into the fixed cap of twenty one million, and the twenty one millionth coin won't be mined until approximately the year twenty one forty. So what he did is so the first block that was mined so the we to understand to understand the halving cycle we need to understand block rewards so the miners basically compete to solve a very complex um, algorithm uh, to solve the hash for the block and when they solve that block they're awarded that takes a lot of energy and they're awarded they're compensated for expending that energy if you are the successful miner to solve the block you're awarded with the block reward and at inception, the first block reward was 50, 50 Bitcoin for every block. So, and there's another um, uh, um, protocol, uh, part of the protocol called the difficulty adjustment, which basically controls the rate of release of the blocks to approximately every 10 minutes. And then, so every 10 minutes, the new, uh, a new block's added to the blockchain. And as part of that, you are rewarded with the block reward. So one of the beautiful things is that every 210,000 blocks, just from memory, 210,000, which approximates every four years, we go through a halving where that block reward is halved. Now, it stands to reason that if you're a miner and you have expenditure costs, operational costs, capital expenditure, it stands to reason that if every four years the block reward you get for mining a block is to halve, theoretically, the price of Bitcoin or the price that you demand to sell that Bitcoin now if you need to remain um, solvent and pay your bills, it stands to reason that you would expect no less than double the price that you were getting prior. So it's this built-in number-go-up technology 
that has been built into the protocol to basically ensure that the Bitcoin price just keeps going up year on year. Uh, and then every four years, um, that, that, that block reward is halved. So it stands to reason that they're going to want to demand a higher price because it still costs them the same, if not more, to mine the Bitcoin year on year. And that is basically how they've controlled the slow rate of release right up to the last Bitcoin, 21 million Bitcoins going to be mined in the, approximately year 2140. Yeah, and um, something to, to add to that is, um, you know, it seems as if every four years there's much greater adoption to a lot more people become interested in it because the number goes up that gets people very interested in it. And it's like the cycle loop. Um, and as more people come up, you know, and buy it, that's going to just push the price up too. So it's exactly, exactly right. So just to expand on that thought a little bit more. So it just boils down to your normal cycle, uh, sorry, your normal um, economic supply demand economics. So if the supply is getting squeezed, that's built into the code. It's a guarantee supply squeeze every, because they're the only new Bitcoin that are going to come through, are going to be put through, through the miners, through that, through that um, block reward, excuse me. So it stands to reason that as we go in um, further in time, just more and more mass adoption. So every day I've got new friends and family approaching me because they know I'm Bitcoin mad and they're always like I would say every week, just about now, somebody is asking me about how do I buy Bitcoin? How do I buy Bitcoin? And it's one of those things where you just need some skin in the game. You need to start to get skin in the game. And that is just accelerating. So as the adoption accelerates, that demand is accelerating and the supply is going down. So the only way, and there's the, the guys from the blue collar Bitcoin, the couple of firefighters there, they put this out in a tweet the other day, which I thought was just brilliant. And they said, in order to argue against Bitcoin's price forever going up, you have to come up with some reason as to why demand's going to fall away. And as we see countries starting to adopt it, Ukraine starting to talk about uh, legalizing it. I saw Laos, that country Laos was um, uh, looking at legalizing it and, and actively looking at mining Bitcoin themselves. So more and more adoptions coming through. And I just can't see any way, shape or form where that, where that demand's gonna going to fall away. Right. I completely agree. And um, okay, the, the country's adopting and uh, adopting it kind of just leads to the game theory aspect too, where if you don't get on, you're going to be left behind. And again, that's a whole nother different thing. That's, pretty crazy to think about and exciting too. So exactly right. Um, so I'm not sure when you first heard about Bitcoin, uh, maybe the, like the first exact time. Um, I know a lot of people talk about um, three touches and it kind of takes for you to buy your first. So if you could go back in time and convince yourself about Bitcoin, the first time you heard about it without knowing uh, what you know now, what would you say to yourself and why? However, you can't say the price is just going to go skyrocket to the moon. I would definitely suggest that the, the strongest advice I would give myself would just be dollar cost averaging. And even new people to the space now, we don't know what price is going to do. It is still a volatile asset. It goes up and it goes down a lot. It goes up a lot and it goes down a lot. So the best way you can iron out that volatility 
for yourself and benefit from that volatility is the dollar cost average in. And I would just say to myself at that first touch, I would say, this is, you need to look at it for a start. So when I first heard about it, I think I actually first heard about it 2015 or some guys at my work buying it, pure speculation. 2017, it come back around again. And again, it was by the time I'd sort of heard about it again, it was already at its frothy, frothy um, the, at, at the top. And I just think, like Greg Foss says this a lot, it's a better buy now at its current price than it was back when he first heard about it at 3000 or, or whenever his story, however his story goes. And I totally agree with that because we've just got so much more knowledge, there's so much more education and there's so much more um, conviction in the community. And the more and more people, when they start to learn about this, this, this fiat, this fiat currency Ponzi scheme, the gigs up, everybody's waking up to it. You don't even have to be a pro Bitcoin person to realize there's something wrong with this system. And more and more people are starting to realize what is going on. Like you only have to go to the grocery store and fill your, fill your shopping cart up and, and go out to know in the last 12 months, something's changed. And um, more and more people are starting to really wake up to that. But um, just to go back to that, uh, the initial question is, is if I was to grab myself, slap myself around the face and go, you need to learn about fiat currency. That'd be the first thing I'd tell myself. And then secondly, whatever that thing is, that Bitcoin is here, is doing, you need to dollar cost average in just a little bit. You know, it doesn't have to be. This is what people like. One of the biggest barriers is this unit bias about Bitcoin. It's like, I can never afford a Bitcoin. It's like, well, you don't actually have to. You don't have to own a whole Bitcoin. Great if you can, but you know, all you need to do is start parking your currency in something that's going to go up in value over time. And it has done so since inception. And there is just nothing I can see in the horizon that's going to impact that apart from maybe some short-term volatility if there's a if there's a market crash. Yeah, I fully agree on the DCA method. I I'm a I started that. Um I think it was December, last December and you know, you ride, yeah, you ride all of the momentum up, but then when it goes back, when it, when it crashed down and what may, you know, I scooped up all those cheap sets that, that entire time. And I didn't even have to think about it. It just automatically happened. And yeah, I try to, I try to explain it to, you know, people as, you know, treat it like a 401k um, something that you're not going to touch until like you retire or if you want to pass it on to your kids or something. Um, that's a really strong message because, um, it, like I've, I, in one of those articles I, I wrote on inflation in particular, uh, when I first introduced the DCA method. Um, and so I wrote, I write articles purely targeted at my friends and family, and they're starting to get some pretty good traction as far as, cause I just really try and keep everything in real simple terms and just make it actionable and relatable to most people. Um, and in one of those uh, pieces, I, I give a, an example of the DCA um, and I purposefully used the current drop in that DCA example um, just to illustrate that, you know, I'm not just using the fluffy numbers when we reached the peak at 65K US. Um, I was using the, the drop back down. I purchased. So the example I use is if you were to put $10 USD into Bitcoin every single day from the 1st of June, 2020 through the 1st of June, 2021. It includes that massive dip down to 30, 30 K that we had. And you would have spent 36 50 
in in US dollars, and that Bitcoin would be worth over seven thousand dollars for a hundred nine percent return. And that's in itself, with a massive drawdown um, that we had, is just illustrative of the power of Bitcoins and DCA over time. And I give a graph example where I've I've got the I take all the price points over a year, I graph it out and I just put a trend line through it. So you become the blue line. So you can see this big red ugly spike up and down as it keeps going up. It's not ugly at all. It's a beautiful thing. But um, <laughs> you can basically draw this trend line through the middle. And that's the line you become when you DCA, this nice, steady upward trajectory. And you're buying, you're basically just taking advantage. You're buying all the dips, but you're also buying all the peaks. But you just iron all that out. And it's like, a couple of the guys at work who I put onto that even said to me, you know, it helped them to embrace those dips more because they knew they were buying more. Like you said yourself, you're, you're buying more sats every time they, that, and if you've got a long-term horizon, the other thing I tell people is whatever you're going to buy, don't overexpose yourself so much that you're going to have to sell it. Do you know what I mean? Like try not to put yourself in that position where you don't have to touch it for five years. And if it's over five years, it doesn't matter what part of the, the cycle you get into. After that five years, and you look at what that Bitcoin price has done, and you're just going to want to FOMO. You want to sell your house, your kids, your bloody <laughs> anything you can to get more, you know? Yep, yep. Um, so before we get to your kind of uh, five-minute elevator pitch for Bitcoin, if you had to recommend one book, article, podcast for a new person to learn about Bitcoin, what would you recommend? For a book, um, I just read VJ, um, but I'd probably, I'll keep him for the article. So uh, let's say for the book, definitely Safe It Ends, The Bitcoin Standard. Um, and that is more, I think the title throws people a little bit off because it's more a book about money. He talks about Bitcoin a little bit at the end and makes it all relatable to Bitcoin. But really, it's just a great educational piece about the money, monetary system, the history of money, how it works, and how we got to the point where we are today so there's your book ticked off for the article i would also um yeah i would i would recommend vj Bolaparty's. Uh, is that how you say his last name um the bullish case for bitcoin for bitcoin um because that also gives a really good introduction on the mechanics behind um bitcoin to a, a little bit more of a technical degree um but it, it, it just gives a really good over, overall view of the protocol and how it interacts and for the podcast um, look, I actually think those guys from the Bitcoin, the Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast, they're doing incredible things. They are having conversations exactly like you, you're having now that need to be rehashed every few years. So I like what Bitcoin did the podcast. I've always liked um, like Peter McCormack's approach. He's gone a little bit wayward lately, but um, he, he's, he's, he's going through something uh, so we can forgive him. Um, but the, the, the guys from the Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast, they're having those conversations again, which just need to be had just from fundamental principles that newcomers to the space, they're not going to go and dig through old 2015 podcasts from, you know, um, Preston's, Preston's pod and so forth. They're just not going to do that. They want to see what's out recent, what's relevant to the times, but the same conversations that we all need to go through from the fundamentals. Awesome. Those are definitely, I haven't listened to that podcast yet, but I do see it pop up a lot and um, I definitely want to take a look at it. So oh, my prediction is that'll be one of the, the biggest ones in the next 12 months. 
they're doing good things. You heard it here first. <laughs> All right. So if you had five minutes to give an elevator pitch to someone about Bitcoin, you know, what would you tell them? You know, would it be, you know, is things that would happen about Bitcoin's future, what its impact on the world, uh, financial, philosophical, has to do with engineering? You know, what kind of avenue would you go down to give uh, if you're stuck on an elevator with someone? <clears throat> so Generally speaking, I stay to the finance because that's what I understand the most. And so I would say if you are in a position where you are swapping your time and energy and sweat for wages, you need Bitcoin in your life. Purely based on the fact that we have been living in a fiat monetary system, which has kept us on the hamster wheel as workers, as wage workers for an eternity. And it's only getting worse. So the way that the system's engineered is they've created this massive credit bubble, which many argue they cannot allow to pop. So they have to keep suppressing interest rates. And how they do that is through money printing. And the benefit to the elite that sit in amongst those circles is that they get extremely rich in the process. So there's no incentive for them to change it. So when they print money, the closer you are to the injection point of that currency, the better off you become. So they get access to the freshly printed, printed bills first. It doesn't hit inflation straight away. So by the time it filters down through the economy, we get taxed, this hidden tax called inflation, which a lot of people know about, a lot of people hear about, but they don't really understand what it's doing to their purchasing power. And at the moment, we're experiencing some of the highest inflation we've seen in decades, but we're still hiding behind uh, core CPI, which is not a great indicator of what it does to me as a, as a worker because it doesn't include food, energy, taxes. And that are my three main outgoings every, every week. So when I'm able to save money in a system that goes up in price over time, so even if you're able to save money now in the current fiat system, you put it in the bank and you don't get any interest rate and it's going backwards through inflation, so you're losing purchasing power. You're guaranteed to lose purchasing power. So that can't compound and build real wealth. Now, where we are at the moment, we're in such a massive asset bubble in all assets. So you can't buy bonds because you don't get any yield. You can't buy stocks at the moment because they're grossly overvalued prices if you know how to, from a fundamental um, intrinsic value assessment standpoint, you can't buy assets. Where else are you going to put your money? And, you know, I'm a big believer of a diversified portfolio. I really am. I've, I've done all the study in, in, in how to invest and, and read all the books on how to diversify. At some point, I, I always think to myself, I'm, I'm sitting on large gains through Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin's now formed a, part, a larger part of my wealth portfolio than it ever has before. Reason It stands to reason that I should roll out of that and rebalance. But where do I put it? Where do, where, where do I, if I'm going to sell Bitcoin, I'm going to want to buy Bitcoin with any gains that I make. Like that's just the reality of where Bitcoin sits in my, in my sphere of investing. And I firmly believe it is the last undervalued asset that we have available right now. And don't talk to me about shit coins, um, you know? So people are so tempted to go down the shit coin rabbit hole, but it's, it's like, Again, the, um, the, the, I'll steal this from the 
the blue collar Bitcoin guys, they say, I'm, we're I'm trying to build generational wealth here. I'm not trying to roll the dice at the casino. You can make short-term gains, but it's taking a lot of risk by playing the shitcoin casinos. And Bitcoin, honestly, is where you need to be storing your value, swapping any excess currency that you have after you've paid your bills each week. You need to store it in something that's going to go up in price, and that is Bitcoin. And if you just dollar cost average in, don't look at it. Look back in, in, in a couple of years' time, you're going to be amazed at what assets you can then potentially roll off into, into later on. So it's all about cycles. And at the moment, we're in such a massive asset bubble cycle. We need to be storing in things that are going to go off. And when that cycle flips, then you can decide, am I going to get a better return off my Bitcoin or in some other asset? And at the moment, that that, that other asset doesn't exist. Yeah, and... Um... Something to point out there that I know you touched upon is the purchasing power aspect of it. And I think that's, I don't know if that's hard to grasp to someone outside of the space, but uh, an analogy I like to use is, you know, if you look at home prices in 2017 or 2015, whatever, maybe it costs like over 300 Bitcoin or something to buy that house. You know, today it's like maybe like three to six or something like Bitcoin. So just think about that into the future where, like like you said, um, you don't need a whole Bitcoin. You like the small amount that you start saving, like that's gonna help you out tremendously. So absolutely, that's a good it's a good analogy. You just have to park it, park it in something that's gonna go up in value over time, increase in purchasing power over time. And once once they experience it, then then you've got to experience it in order to really understand it. Cause we just don't we haven't been able to experience that in in any monetary good in the past. I mean, gold largely yes, but gold's not even accessible to everybody. And that's the really other powerful thing about Bitcoin is I can't go and buy one hundredth of an ounce of gold. I can't dollar cost average into gold like the way I, it has been, like largely you can argue it's been tokenized now, but like. Bitcoin, you can buy. I've done it on the exchange here in Australia. I went and I bought one cent of Bitcoin just to prove that I could. I was like, what are they going to charge me to do? What Can I buy one cent of Bitcoin? And if that's all you can afford, you know, that's all you can afford. Put as much in that you're not going to over leverage yourself, uh, you know, and you're not going to need to sell in a hurry and just watch it go up. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, so to kind of wrap up, where can people, uh, follow you, learn about more of the stuff that you're putting out? Yeah, sure. So I write articles on medium, uh, so Daz B D A Z B E A, uh, and you can find me on Twitter, uh, D A Z B E A number one. Awesome. I post all my articles on there. So, um, yeah, as I, as I write them, I put them up. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll include all, I'll include all that information and the links in the show notes too. So, so people can, you know, directly find that, um, really appreciate you coming on and kind of giving your Bitcoin pitch. Um, I definitely enjoy having me, Pat. Yeah. That was awesome, man. Thanks for the chat. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Daz, for coming on the show. You'll find in the show notes links to all that was mentioned, including where you can find and follow Daz. If you got this far, thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And if you feel you have a Bitcoin pitch to tell, I want you on the show. 
feel free to reach out to me via Twitter at baby underscore Pat with two Y's and two T's or email me at bitcoinpitchpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time.